Welcome to the podcast for Salem Baptist Church, where the senior pastor is Reverend Dr. Selwyn Q. Bacchus. Salem is located at 3131 Lake Street in Omaha, Nebraska, 68111. This podcast has been created as a mobile companion to your engagement with Salem. Whether you use it to listen to a service you are unable to attend or to revisit a sermon, we pray that this podcast will serve as a source of motivation and connection to a word-centered and spirit-led church that cares about your journey. Be sure to turn on your alerts as we deliver a variety of content to you. Don't miss out on church services, interactive Bible studies, and special interviews all here on Salem's podcast. Share the podcast with a friend or family member. Listen as you have your morning coffee, daily exercise, or travel to work. No matter when you are listening, we pray this episode blesses you.
happy when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Well, good morning, Salem. For those of you in the sanctuary, in the virtual sanctuary, I wonder if anyone is happy to be in the house of the Lord today. If anyone is glad to be in the house of the Lord today. The psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence and to worship and praise your name. Let nothing stand in the way of giving you all the praise, the glory, and honor that you deserve. Bless us in this worship service, and we pray that you are glorified and magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Join us as we continue in our praise and worship. Hallelujah, saints. Oh, how I love Jesus. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Let me see those hands. There is a name I love to hear. Sing. You don't know. You got it all. Worked. 
Dirty, dirty, unfit.
those who are request, requesting special prayer, infant Anaya, Ayaya Keys, Sister Claudette Armstrong and family, Mother Jackie Blackburn, Sister Carol Brazier, Sister Arlette Brooks, Sister Bobby Daly, Sister Sheila Davis, Evangelist Elizabeth Davison, Sister Valeria Ferguson, Sister Bonnie Harper, Sister Elizabeth Hubbard, Sister Valeria Middlebrook, Sister Alexis McDonald, Brother Philip McLean Smith, Brother Lonnie Nelson, Brother Willie Patrick, Brother Dalen Rucker, Brother Frank Stewart Sr., Brother Vaughn Wallington, Brother Terry Wick. And those who are on our brief list who are requesting prayer this week, Sister Lois Hopgood and the loss of her brother Aaron Allen. Deacon Bruce and Sister Benita Green and the loss of her sister Lillian Dancy. At this time, we're going to ask that Deacon Smith would lead us in prayer as we all go to the Lord in prayer. Let us bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Giving thanks, first of all, dear God, for your love, your kindness, your grace, your mercy, your peace. We thank you, Father, for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. If there's anything in our hearts right now, dear God, that's not like you, we ask that you would cast it out in the name of Jesus. Lord, we lift up your holy and righteous name this morning because we know that there's no other that we can go to who will hear our humble cry. And we ask, dear God, as we humbly come before you, Lord, today, we ask that you would hear our cry, Father, that in the name of Jesus, I call upon your holy and righteous name, that you would bless this service, bless our hearts this morning. Father, we know that the list is long that was called out this morning, seeking your face, asking for healing, asking for your blessings. And Father, we utter up these prayers of petition before you today, looking to the hills from which cometh our strength and our help, and our help come from you, O oh God. We trust you, and we believe in you, and we put our trust in you right now. You, ask, you said in your word, if we would ask anything in your name, that you would give it to us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Oh, Heavenly Father, we love you today, and we praise and we lift up your righteous name. There's none like you, Lord. Father, we are struggling in this time. Oh, God, we ask that you would just have mercy upon us. We know that there's some difficult days ahead, but we are living in some difficult times right now. I'm praying right now, Heavenly Father, I'm just asking that you would bless the people in Ukraine today. We ask that you would just go to their defense. Love on them, dear God, answer their prayer. Father, we ask that you would bless all of our military personnel today that's serving all across the land and overseas. Give them strength. Let them look to the hills from which cometh their help. Let them know that it comes from you, O oh God. Lord, our national leaders need your wisdom and they need your understanding. And I'm praying in the name of Jesus that you would give them the wisdom that they need to make the right decisions. 
to help those that are in need in this country. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for our national, state, and local leaders that you would give them understanding that they need. Father, we pray right now that the, those that are on that sick and shut-in list, that you would hear their humble cry. We know that you are a healing God, and we put our trust in you right now. Bless our pastor wherever he is right now, dear God. Just anoint him. Give him the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And let him know that, dear God, that you can lead him and guide him. And as he follows you, oh God, give us the wisdom and the strength and the understanding to follow his leadership. We thank you for the Salem Church, and we thank you for every church that's open in your holy and righteous name. As if we lift up the name of Jesus, the one who bled and died for our sins. And we thank you for that gift. Oh, Lord, we love you today. We honor you. Bless this service. Bless the one that's going to bring you, bring us the word of God. That you would bless him from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. That he will preach the unadulterated word of God. And dear God, if there's someone that don't know you, who have not received your son Jesus Christ as their personal savior, we ask that they may come and confess Jesus because your word said if we confess Jesus with our mouths and believe that you have raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So everyone that have not accepted him, I'm praying for them right now in the name of Jesus that salvation may come to them today. Lord, we love you, we honor you, we praise you, and we give you glory. It is in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen, amen, and amen.
about blessings that you do not have room enough to receive. And so there are several ways in which you can give. You can mail your tithe and offering in to the Salem Baptist Church at 3131 Lake Street, Omaha, Nebraska, 68111. You may drop your tithe and offering off Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. There's a secure tithe and offering box just outside of the administrative wing. You may go online to SalemBC.org. There's a click to donate button. You may give through PayPal, Venmo, the Cash App, or Givelify. Or you may text to give at 402-543-3316. We know that you will be blessed. Now we want to repeat our affirmation about what we believe here at the Salem Baptist Church about giving. We repeat this affirmation each and every week. So would you simply repeat after me? We plant good seed in good soil. And we will receive God's prosperity for our lives. We plant good seed in good soil. receive God's prosperity for our lives. And the people of God said, praise the Lord. Also, for those of you who are in the sanctuary worshiping with us in person today, you will have an opportunity to give your offering as you exit the sanctuary at the end of service. Let us now continue in worship with our music and fine arts ministry. God bless you.
how great thou art. Lord Jesus, you are worthy to be praised. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My God, he is worthy to be praised. How many of y'all know that Jesus is worthy to be praised this morning? My God, my God. I want you to know it's a privilege to stand up here before you this morning. I want to especially thank Pastor Backus, Dr. Moore, Minister Montague, and you, the entire Salem family. Y'all pray for me this morning. You can never have too much prayer, amen? I invite you to stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the Word of God. Very familiar passage of Scripture, but as always, an ever-relevant one. It's taken out of Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 18 through 20, commonly referred to as the Great Commission. And it reads as follows. And Jesus came to them, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Please take your seats and be blessed by the reading of God's word. I want to invite you to join me today as I preach with the help of the triune God from the title of Go Fish. Go Fish, that's it. Go Fish. Whenever I get the call to preach, I have to remind myself to keep it relatively simple. Relatively. Don't try to do too much. If you ever wonder why I told myself this, it's because if you don't preach in this context incredibly often, you may have a habit of trying to fit too much in, trying to say too much, which, if I'm honest, is kind of a natural inclination of mine. In fact, it runs in my family somewhere. My father, who does preach often, or did, still preached very long. In about the third hour of his sermon, I would be like, come on now close this thing out. My father actually has a cousin, I guess that makes him my cousin as well, that lives, still lives in the south, actually in Helena, West Helena, Arkansas. You might recognize that as the birthplace of our pastor. Also the birthplace of my paternal grandparents and where my father spent the first seven years of his life. Well, this particular cousin has this same problem too. In fact, I once seen him say 12 distinctly different things simultaneously, all at the same time. And I, like you, would not have believed that, but I actually witnessed it. He said 12 different things at once. He just tried to fit too much in. And I still don't know how he did it. But my point is this. I will do my best to keep it simple and get us out of here at a decent time. But there is just one more thing going against me. I'm Baptist, and I'm probably as Baptistic as they come. So regarding the time or the length of the sermon, you're just going to have to pray. I told you to pray for me. And as the scriptures say, pray fervently and without ceasing. 
So let me tell you what I mean about by keep it simple. I actually don't like that term. I prefer, as you might have noticed, to say chop it up because the scriptures contain weighty truth, weighty like a steak. And like a steak, it's helpful if we chop, chop because it helps the digestive process. It helps us to swallow. It helps when we break down and chop up our food. After all, you can't really shove a steak down someone's throat. Trust me, I tried. That probably came off the wrong way. Um, when I was younger, my mom used to look at me with awe and a slight bit of disgust and laughingly shake her head at the amount of food that I would stuff into my mouth. I remember one time at a babysitter's, uh, I must have been four, my sister was five, and we had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and of course I ate mine and my sister didn't touch hers, and the babysitter told us, my sister Deanna, you can't go and play until you eat your sandwich. And she didn't want to eat her sandwich, so we, we made a deal. She would stuff her sandwich in my mouth, and I would get another sandwich, and her plate would be clean and she can go and play. I still eat like that today. You know, they say you should chew your food 32 times. I'm lucky if I ever get to three. So that gets me into trouble at times because if you try to eat something like, say, a mozzarella cheese stick and you only chew it three times, that's going to get very uncomfortable very fast. So what I'm trying to say, it's important and essential that we break down what we say, what we eat into smaller bite-sized pieces. It helps us in our digestion and it helps us when we talk about scripture to understand. I see the same concept with my young sons, especially my two-year-old. We still chop up his food in very small pieces, but it really doesn't matter because 10 seconds later, every piece is in his mouth and his cheeks look like this. But I see another trait in my kids is they eat, one that I really like, and it's they like to share. They don't like to share their toys, <laughs> but they will share their food. Um, typically, whatever they have, they will say, here, mommy, here, daddy, have a piece of this. Sometimes I think it's because they don't really want it. But other times, when they have their favorite snack or something that they like, they just genuinely want to share it with us. Here, have a piece of this and try it too. And so, friends, I think we can take cues from this sort of mindset. So as we listen to sermons, as we dig into scripture, as we get poured into from wise counsel about biblical things, we're not just to take it in for ourselves, but to share it with other people. Let me ask you a question. If you acquire something good, would you share it or would you keep it to yourself? Some of y'all may be like, well, it depends on what that something is, right? Well, what if that something is the greatest thing in the world and the best thing that you can ever possess? In the sermon today, I just wanna talk with you about sharing, but sharing something in particular and how we are called to do it. Today I want to talk about a term. It's euangelion. Somebody told me the other day that I always use big words and I need to explain them or define them, so here it goes. In the Greek New Testament, the term euangelion is what is used for gospel. It simply means good news. And the verb is euangelizo, which means to bring or to announce good news. Both words are derived from the noun angelos, which means messenger. You might notice how that sounds like angel. In addition, the verb euangelizomai means to speak as a messenger of gladness, to proclaim good news. 
And so the noun euangelion became a technical term for a message of victory. It was used for a political or a private message that brought joy. And it was also used by the biblical writers to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. Euangelion is where we get the English word evangelism. And evangelist, or have you ever heard the word evangel? Perhaps you've heard of those terms. Friends, if I have not made it clear yet, the message today is a call for evangelism. It is a call for sharing the gospel. This is not just something that pastors share from the pulpit, but all of God's people are commanded to share the gospel with their words and with their lives and with their actions. And we see this commanded by Jesus in our passage for today. He says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and share the gospel. This is what we call the Great Commission. Jesus commissioned all believers. Somebody please say all believers to do this. Go ye therefore and share the gospel. But some of you may be like, if you're real in tune to the passage and say, well, wasn't he just talking to the 11 remaining disciples? While it's true that he was only talking to his disciples, I'm here to tell you that that message still applies to us today. He said in that passage to teach them to observe all the things that I commanded you. And one of the things he commanded them was to teach them to share the gospel. So today we are also commanded to share the gospel. The passage also says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Certainly that wasn't just for the 11 apostles. That was for us as well. That he is going to be with us to the end of the age. And so he tells them, and he tells us to observe all things, including teaching others to make disciples, a.k.a. go fish. The Great Commission includes the disciples investing in others who will then invest and more others. This was the lion's share of Jesus' public ministry. From the time he called the twelve, he said, follow me, in Matthew 4, 19, follow me, and I will make you a different type of fisherman, one that brings in people, not fish. I will make you fishers of men. And so he sent them out, and he said, go and make disciples of all nations, because I've already commissioned you as fishers of men. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, go fish. Go and make disciples of men. Go and share the gospel. Jesus commissioned us all to do that. It works like this. Jesus made disciples who then made disciples who then made more disciples who now make more disciples. That's what we call disciple cycles. And so when I'm talking about sharing the gospel, I feel like it's important that I tell you what the gospel is. Do you mind if I define that for you this morning? Again, I'm going to try to keep it simple. Four words, God, man, Christ, response. When I say God, I mean God is the creator of all things. He is perfectly holy, worthy of all worship, and will punish sin. When I say man, I mean all of us, all people. Though created good, have become sinful by nature from birth. All people are born alienated from God, hostile to God, and therefore subject to the wrath of God. But there's a solution. And that solution comes in the form of the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, lived a sinful life, 
died on the cross to bear God's wrath in the place of all who would believe in him. And he rose from the grave in order to give people eternal life. That's the solution. Lastly, our response. God calls everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. To sum it up, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. The most famous preacher of the 1800s, Charles Hatton Spurger, says this, my entire theology can be condensed into four words. Jesus died for me. Friends, if you want to know what the gospel is, that is the gospel. Jesus died for me. And so in this sermon today, I want to give you three points about sharing the gospel. The first is, the world needs the gospel. The second is, the church needs the gospel. And finally, the third is, God uses us to share his gospel. The world needs the gospel. In the Bible, the term the world refers to the humanistic system based on corrupt values that is at odds with God. The dictionary definition of worldly is relating to or devoted to the temporal world. Worldliness, then, is the condition of being concerned with worldly affairs, especially to the neglect of spiritual things. So because of sin and because of separation from God, humanity is totally depraved and in a perpetual state of hopelessness and in desperate need of a Savior named Jesus Christ. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus when he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and in the sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of the disobedience, having no hope and without God in the world. Friends, what I'm trying to say is the world clearly needs Jesus. And so I ask you, how long must we see innocent people being targeted and killed because of the skin color for us to realize the world needs Jesus? How long should we witness wars overseas and wars in our own country? How long must we watch privilege based on skin color? How long must we watch governmental corruption, malnourishment, hunger, violence, the redefinition of things scripture clearly defines? How long must we be a witness of bullying, preying on the weak by the more privileged? How long, how many times must we witness people in despair, living in shame, marginalized, the poor, the pain of the abused? How long must we witness people treating other people poorly just simply because they are different? from they are. And the list clearly goes on. How long must we be a, wit a witness to death? How many of us have lost loved ones in our lives? How long must we be a witness to disease? How many times do we have to see people dying from heart attacks, strokes, cancer, suicide? I remember the look on my oldest friend's face when he lost his brother to suicide. How long must we witness the feeling of agony, pain, helplessness? How long must we bear witness to crime? We can talk about stealing, whether it's a poor man trying to feed his family or embezzlement or insider trading inside of a hedge fund. How long must we witness murder, whether it's abortion or it's a school shooting? How long must we witness lust, infidelity, adultery, fornication? Are young men being enslaved to pornography? Are young women involved in things they should not be because of a perceived lack of self-worth and self-respect? Privileged athletes forcing themselves on women and getting away with it, how long? Must we witness these things? How long must we witness the lying, whether it's a lie to your wife or cheating on a test in school? How long 
must we witness idolatry? The world loves anything and everything before God. Cars, clothes, houses, popularity, fame, our efforts, our accomplishments, ourselves. How long must we bear witness to racism? It's been going on since the beginning of time. And at times it appears to get, excuse me, pretends to get better, and then it rears its ugly head again. We don't need to look very hard to see how racism is still brewing in the hearts of so many today, especially in the nation that we call home. Our nation was built on racism. The world tends to think less of people not like themselves. I don't want to get started on the political climate or politics, but how long must we witness that corruption? The world doesn't seek they doesn't seek reconciliation. They are in this downward spiral of devastation. And so what I ask you this morning is, how can it not be more obvious that the world needs the gospel? A young lady in a youth group, a youth Bible study asked me, what motivates people who do not believe in the gospel? And another youth answered and hit the nail right on the head. They said, false hope. There is no hope in this world or for this world except the hope that is in Jesus Christ. But guess what? We have a living hope because Jesus is alive. Please do not miss that. We have a certainty that we will live forever with him, that the war is already won. So we live in the same fallen world as the world does, but with a living hope. So we don't find our joy or contentment in daily circumstances or in events. We find it in Jesus Christ. We have the gospel. The world desperately needs the gospel, and we need to share it with them. Paul says this, let us take great confidence in the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1.16. Friends, the world needs the gospel. But you know what? Point two. Believers also need the gospel. Let's go just a little bit deeper. We often think of the gospel as something that only the world needs. But we need it too. The Apostle Paul knew that. In the book of Romans, which is perhaps the most detailed and delineated breakdown of the gospel in any place in Scripture, it was written not to unbelievers, but to believers. Paul writes this, To all in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. First, I want to thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. He was writing that and explaining the gospel to believers. You want to know why? So, you see, we know the gospel means we got something we must share with our unbelieving neighbors before it's too late, right? However, for far too long, I fear we miss what the gospel means for us right now. We miss why the gospel is good news for the Christian or the believer today. It's very common in Christian circles to assume that the gospel is something only for non-Christians. We presume that the gospel is a set of ABC basic doctrines that believers do not need to hear or study once they become saved. But it's with that mindset that we tend to lose and or forget the gospel. We think the gospel is just for beginners and that somehow as believers, we must maintain our salvation and earn God's favor through what we do. As if God's grace is only sufficient for us to come to him 
but not sufficient for us to keep, not sufficient for him to keep us. Friends, the same grace that saves you is the same grace that keeps you. Pastor Tim Keller notes this, the gospel is not just the ABCs, but it's the A to Z of the Christian life. The gospel is the way that anything and anyone is renewed and transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's a heart, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a church, whether it's a community, all of our problems that we have today as believers come from a lack of orientation to the gospel. He goes on and he says, the gospel shows us that our spiritual problem lies not only in failing to obey God, but also in relying on our own obedience to make us fully acceptable to God, ourselves, and to others. Every single kind of character flaw comes from this natural impulse to be our own savior through our performance and our achievement. On one hand, proud and disdainful personalities come from basing our identity on our performance and thinking that we are succeeding. But on the other hand, discouraged and self-loathing personalities also come from basing our identity on our performance and thinking that we're failing. Friends, that is not the gospel. A lack of deep belief in the gospel is the main cause of spiritual deadness, fear, and pride in Christians today. Because our hearts continue to act on the basis, I obey, therefore I am accepted. But that is not the gospel. If we fail to forgive other people, that is not simply a lack of obedience, but a failure to believe that we are saved by grace too. If we lie in order to cover up a mistake, that is not simply a lack of obedience, but a failure to find our acceptance in God rather than in human approval. So we do not get saved by believing the gospel and then growing by trying hard to live according to biblical principles. Believing the gospel is not only the way to meet God, but it's also the way to grow in him. Friends, all I'm trying to say is the church also needs the gospel. I heard someone refer to the good news, the gospel is the engine of the Christian experience. It's what drives us. But truthfully, we need daily reminders of that. Don't wait for the preacher in the pulpit to preach it to you. Preach it to yourself every day. Daily remind yourself that the good news that you have in Jesus Christ. So when the world gets you down to the point of despair, when Satan tempts you or you feel unworthy, just remember that you have worth in Jesus Christ. And there is therefore no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus defeated death and Satan. These reminders every day come in the form of prayer, Bible study, prayer meetings, praise and worship, fellowship. That is why the scripture tells us not to neglect the fellowship among believers because we serve as reminders for one another of the gospel that we cling to so dearly. The same power that crushed death and the devil is the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is now at work through God's energizing spirit in you. That's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1. One of my favorite preachers says this, when believers know and love and live on the meat of the gospel, we will be so gospel-filled and so gospel-shaped and so gospel-dependent and so gospel-driven and so gospel-hoping and so gospel-joyful that no one will need to tell us why we need to share the gospel or even how to share the gospel. We will be so thankful and so desperately day-by-day day, dependent on the gospel for our own hope of eternal life and our own sanity and our own stability and our own marriages or singleness that we, it will be impossible not to know that people need the gospel and why they need it and how it relates to their biggest needs. 
because we know we need it and why we need it and how it meets our biggest needs day by day. One of the reasons why Paul was so eager to preach the gospel in Rome and why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you today is that if we thrive day by day on the meat of the gospel, if the gospel becomes a day by day, hour by hour instrument of God's power in our lives to save us, then our witness to our family, our friends, strangers, will not be some artificial scheme, but the very heartbeat of the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we fight the fight of faith and love every single day. Friends, the church also, we also need the gospel. Lastly, I want you to know that God uses us to deliver the gospel to other people. Charles Spurgeon, who I quoted earlier, says this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let me say that again. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And it's easy to say, I know, this just isn't my gift. It's easy to be discouraged. I'm not the person for this. But remember that sharing the gospel is not about our ability to be convincing, but it's the very power of the Holy Spirit, God at work in us, drawing people to him. So it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. Family, listen as I read 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. The Apostle Paul writes this. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Friends, reconciliation in the New Testament carries the meaning of restoration of the favor of God to sinners that repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ. We are instruments of God that he uses to reconcile the world to himself. How does God draw people to himself? Through us. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this, but how can they call on him to save unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how could they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. As a Christian, we all have beautiful feet and are commanded to bring the good news. Jesus sends us. What an honor that is. We are all are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so in a certain sense, we are all evangelists if we know him. And we are all charged to share that euangelion. Being a witness for Jesus is not just about what we say verbally, though. But it's also about how we act, how we behave, how we walk, how we live. Jesus calls us to be a witness not only through our mouth, but through our actions, our lifestyle. And truthfully, that's one of the main ways we share our faith. That's one of the main ways we share the gospel through how we live. The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2.12. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. My wife's favorite scripture is this, let your light shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Friends, what I'm saying is that Christianity should be a public affair. It should be evident in our lifestyle. One of my favorite artists, professors, and pastors puts it this way. Listen, Christians are cities on a hill which cannot be hid, not undercover agents. According to Jesus Christ in Matthew 5, 13 through 14, Christians are to be considered light and salt, partly because both of their presence and absence are readily detectable and significantly impacting. If it is not obvious that you are a Christian, then you're probably not, or you have a Christianity that is weak in its Christ aroma. Friends, I just want you to look at your neighbor and say, go fish. I was a young college student once. Let's just say that was about five years ago, maybe a little bit longer. I was, uh, and I'm going to close with this story, but I was at a, I was co-oping at a place called Toyota Technical Center. I was a young saved dude in college. Probably wasn't living perfectly right. Um, but I had a relationship with the Lord. So I wasn't taking classes a semester, but I was interning, co-oping at this facility. And they were taking us to a manufacturing facility in Kentucky. It was like a 14-passenger plane. And just let me tell you how this day went. I woke up late. I was driving in my vehicle, 97 Camry the most reliable vehicle ever made. It barely needed gas or oil. It still went wherever it needed to go because Lord knows I didn't take care of it. But I was late. In fact, I was so late that I had to jump out of my car and run to the plane because they were all boarded. They were about to leave me. And so I almost missed out on this opportunity that I'm going to tell you about. And so I made the plane ride, and one thing caught my attention on that short plane ride. I saw some guy by himself this is a very tiny plane, and he had a Bible open, and he was just reading it. And I remembered that later. And so we landed in some tumble field in the middle of nowhere, and we walked into this huge facility, and they gave us lunch, a ton of pizza. All college students want pizza, right? And so I was one of two black people there. And so, of course, I had to go and talk to the other black guy there. But I noticed something. He was eating pizza, but only a certain type of pizza. And if you know anything about me, I love bacon, I love pork, all the things that are probably bad for you, and he wasn't eating any of it. So I went up to him and I joked. I said, why aren't you eating the best stuff here? And he told me, he said, look, I'm Muslim, I cannot eat pork. And so from that point on, we just started having a conversation, just a random conversation, and he told me he was Muslim, but he also told me, he said this, I've been reading lately and I've noticed something different about Jesus than Muhammad. You see, Muhammad died. But when I look at the Bible, Jesus died, but he rose from the grave and that he still lives. He said, I want to know more about this Jesus. And so I'm sitting next to him, and I'm like, I am not prepared to share the gospel. I did not think this was going to happen. I'm not prepared, nothing. But I know in my heart that that's what God wanted me to do. So I did it. So we walked and rode through this whole manufacturing facility, other people talking. We were not paying any attention. And I was doing myself, my best, my very best to share the gospel. I was fumbling over my words, kind of like I am right now. I was probably saying the wrong things. It was just the worst gospel presentation that anyone can ever do in their entire life, right? And so we get out of that facility. 
and we make our way back to Michigan. And I was walking to my car and he followed me and he said, look, I just wanna tell you that from what you told me today, I've received Jesus Christ and I believe in him. The only reason I'm telling you this story is because whatever happened there had absolutely nothing to do with me. But it was all God. And he just wanted faithfulness. I remember on the plane ride back to Michigan, I saw the guy with the Bible. And so I asked him to borrow it because I didn't have one on me. And so I used that Bible. And we were actually, we couldn't sit next to each other because people just saw us just talking about the Bible the entire time. So they, they, they wouldn't give up their seats so we can sit next to each other. So we were on opposite sides of the aisle being bumped into by the um, stewardess. And I was just fumbling through the scriptures, sharing with him the gospel. Nothing about this was clear cut, neat, nothing. But when we walked to that car, you know, I used to read the Daily Bread. I don't know if you guys read that. And they, they sometimes send out free pamphlets. And I had two pamphlets in my car. So I was fumbling. I was like, look, these are two things I just read. And I gave him those pamphlets. And you know what he said to me? He said, wow, these are the two things that I've been dealing with the most lately. And so all I'm trying to say is this. God had a plan, and I was only an instrument for that plan. It didn't matter how convincing I was. It didn't matter how clear my words were. None of that mattered. All that mattered was that the Holy Spirit was at work. So I tell you that today to encourage you to share the gospel. Don't be discouraged. Don't think you're not ready. If you're a Christian and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will do the work. Just let him work through you. Go fish. Go fish. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your gospel, for your truth. We thank you so much that as Christians, you live in and through us. We thank you for this good news. And the good news is so good that we want to share it with everyone, everywhere. Teach us to share your good news. Teach us to go fish and make fishers of men because that's what you commanded. That's what you charged us to do. And Lord, help us to reach this world for you. Continue to equip us. Continue to help us to study. Continue to help us to listen to your voice as we share your gospel. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I would like you to invite you all to stand as we extend the invitation. I want to extend the invitation for you to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you heard about this gospel today, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you say, I want to know that Jesus, like my friend at Toyota Technical Center. If you're in a sanctuary, immediately after service, there will be deacons in place to receive you into the family of God here at the Salem Baptist Church. Or if you're listening or watching in the virtual sanctuary, please give us a call at 402-544-1000, option three. And if God has touched your life today, please give your life to him. Because there's only one name by which we'll save. 
And that's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. service where we observe the Lord's Supper. Each month we pause in remembrance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for all that he's done for us. Let us now go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, how we thank you now as we come to this table. Thank you for the sacrifice made and the price paid. We realize, oh God, that even as you hung, bled, and died on that cross, it should have been each one of us. But because of your love for each of us, you took on sin that we might have eternal life. And we simply want to say thank you. And so at this time, oh Lord, as we prepare to come to this table, we ask that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you would give our hearts a clean heart and a clear mind, even now, as we go to the Lord in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.
the Bible says that on the night that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was betrayed, after he had taken the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body. As you all do this in remembrance of me, let us now commune together. In the same manner, he took the cup, and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. Let us all commune together. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, how we thank you now again for the sacrifice made and the price paid. We thank you for allowing us the opportunity to come to this table, that as often as we eat of this bread and as often as we drink of this cup, we do so in remembrance of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us now receive our benediction. pray that you have been blessed on today and that you will go from here and share the gospel. For those of you in the sanctuary, immediately following service, our ushers will escort you out of the sanctuary. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you again for this service, for the opportunity and the privilege of worshiping you and praising you and for the power that is in your blood. Bless us as we leave this place, but never your presence. Now unto him was able to prevent us from falling and present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. Be the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. I'll let the whole church say amen.